We now are going to catch up and talk to an absolute icon of New Zealand sport, one of the most underrated athletes in this country, because we want to try and celebrate and put in context the achievements of John O'Riddler, who has just competed a 100-kilometre open water swim from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore. Started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning and finished around about half an hour ago. Uh, You have to do these open water swims unassisted, no wetsuits. Swam all the way through the night and clearly finished tonight. One man who knows all about it, who paved the way, who was the original pioneer, is Philip Rush. Now, Philip holds the world record for the three-way crossing of the English Channel, which he completed in 1987. He also was the first person to complete the double crossing of New Zealand's Lake Taupo, which he completed on the 14th and 15th of January back in 1985. He has swum the Cook Strait, the double, the triple, you name it, he's done it. Philip Rush, good evening, welcome. G'day Mark, how's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, look, just try and put in context for me this achievement of John O'Riddler. I mean, you've been in the water for 28 hours, he's just been out there for 33 hours. Um, I've got a little bit of background in endurance sport, but boy, I just can't comprehend uh, the mental fortitude that you yourself had and what this young man's got. I think what, what John O's done is outstanding um, tonight. Um, you know, he was going into the second night as well. Um, starting at night, you know, he he has shut his mind off to anything that has been going on around him. Um, and like any endurance event, you can only train so much and then you have to shut off. You've got to shut your mind off from giving you that pain all the time. And Jono would have been struggling. I know... I've been speaking with the boat uh, during the day and he had stomach problems, upset stomach, which he had to cope with. Um, and if you put it in context, like you've said, he swam through the night. Most of us will sleep. Then we've gone to work all day. We've had breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then he's continued on to try and get this finished. Um, so that is what it takes. Yeah, the Cook Strait. Now, the Cook Strait, I think, can be anywhere from, what, 23 to 26 kilometres. Am I correct there? What's the official distance of the Cook Strait? 26 kilometres in a straight line. 20. So we need to, um, and, you know, you've got tide that moves you through that. You may well, I think, on average, we end up going about 27.4, I think, um, with the swimmers that go across. A bit like Lake Taupo, they end up going about 40.1 Five, somewhere around about there, 40.2 kilometres. So, you know, we can't go in a straight line. I, um, I've, um, I've, we've looked at the track of, of how Jono's gone. The point to point was 100 kilometres. We're just waiting for that to be verified, obviously. Um, but he's come ashore, unassisted coming ashore after over 30 hours. And he will be feeling pretty proud of himself, but he will be absolutely buggered. He'll be on a high, but probably slightly dehydrated. And because he's had a crook stomach during the day, just the, from my understanding, the food that he was taking on board um, was not settling that well. But, you know, that is a long period of time for one to stay awake 
and two, to be swimming consistently. Yeah, the uh, the other thing too is like we've seen some swims where you can probably use the currents to your advantage, but when you're swimming for more than 24 hours, you clearly, yes, you're going to get some currents behind you, but you're going to be swimming into those currents too because that's just the nature, that's just high tide, low tide. That's just how things work. So um, I guess you've been there. I mean, how, how do you work yourself through the low points, Philip? How, what, what are some of the strategies that he's probably employed out there? Well, I, we, were, we were talking a couple of days beforehand and I was trying to convince him that what happens at night, everybody in the boats that are around have to be calm. He has to stay calm. He can't be trying to run and swim from the water. He has to relax. He has to shut that mind down and just let the night flow through. It's very dark out there. There's nothing to look at. All you can see is some lights, possibly. Um, but as I say, as you've said, at the end there, I know for a fact he had to be finished by 6 o'clock. He had to be had feet on the beach by 6 o'clock or the tide was going out and he would have been making no distance. That would have held him there for another four to five hours, barely moving, I would think, and hence why that was a six o'clock shut-off time. And I think it wasn't. It was soon after six that they actually got their feet on the beach. Yeah, Philip, I remember talking to you when you were in an interview previously, when talking about the triple crossing of the English Channel, and I know that there were points in that where you would be swimming and you'd see like a, a large um, sort of uh, marker in the water, and then not long later you'd see it again, realising that they'd actually taken you, swimming you in circles because you're waiting for tides to change and stuff. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, how... How, how difficult are the tides? I know people have got very close to finishing the Cook Strait and haven't been able to finish because they just simply haven't been able to get through the currents. Correct. I mean, we've had people within 100 metres of finishing in Cook Strait and the tide has been so fierce that it's actually just pushed us out of Cook Strait and we've had to pull the swim. And that's heartbreaking for everybody. One, the swimmer, because they've given it all to get themselves to that position. Two, for us, that we, you know, we can't do any more than say, come on, come on, give, give them as much encouragement, as much support. But once, once that tide starts to flow, and as you're right, in the English Channel, um, when I, um, we tried, we, we were successful in the triple crossing, first lap was seven and a half hours roughly, the next lap was eight, uh, eight hours, which gave us a double crossing, which was a really good time. But the third tide was 12 and a half hours to get across. And it becomes a team effort because the skippers need to be able to work those tides to get the best for you. In that case, in the English Channel, we swam around for two and a half hours around this big circle, basically, um, to let the tide go through. So you kept your body temperature up because you know you just couldn't sit there and sort of wait for the lights to change. Um, and then we were away. So And then the next lap after the third lap would have been back to an mm-hmm. eight to nine hour swim. But it's just the way you have to work the tides to give the best benefit. I think they've done a very, very good job. Um, Jono came off very well um, at the start. I believe the weather in Auckland this after or today has been marginal for swimming. They, uh, you know, There was a lot of seasickness out there with the crew as well. Um, which has obviously upset Jono's stomach as well, but it was very nasty mm. conditions. And for him to 
carry on in those conditions because those waves will be just like somebody with a hammer just belting you in the arm saying, come on, come on. Your mind has to shut off because your mind will be wanting to give up. Your body's wanting to give up. But if you're strong enough, you just have to shut off any negativity that's coming into that mind. Now, that is the hard thing. Any endurance athlete will will understand that what you think about, you're thinking about time, it'll just drag on. You have to shut anything off that is going into your head. Yeah, that's not easy to do, man. I mean, it's easy to do it for half an hour, it's easy to do it for an hour, but to be able to do that for 33 hours is remarkable. Uh, look, I was out open water swimming um, last Saturday, and uh, you know, it doesn't take much, does it, for a ripple to suddenly feel like you're swimming through the Himalayas, and when you're dying, lying dead flat on the water... Um, it can be very, very tough, and we know swimming is a taught sport, so it's based on, you know, it's based, it's governed by hydrodynamics, all about technique. But in those conditions, you've got to make adjustments technically too, and that's not an easy thing to do when you're fatigued. Not at all. I mean, he would be, he'd be feeling probably from the back of him. I believe the wind was behind him, but also that tide's pushing him. And if you look where um, Jono's course has gone. He's come off the rum line. What I mean by the rum line, the direct line. And the wind has pushed him and he's been tired and he hasn't been able to to swim fast enough to stay on that line. But he's been able to keep swimming and the water has pushed him. We, He's finished just off the finish point that he was expecting to finish at. But, you know, that has been a hell of an afternoon or a hell of a day for Jono in that Auckland Harbour. Talk to me about the discipline of nutrition, the discipline of actually being able to eat. Look, I've been in events and you, you understand that you've got to pretty much self-cater in a thing like an Ironman, but it's really easy to get caught up in the moment and not feel hungry and forget to drink and forget to eat. And then suddenly before you know it, you've had a glycogen meltdown and you're sort of sitting in the gutter. Um, and it's it's easy to do it in training. It's not always easy to do it in race day. How important and how hard is that discipline of eating every 30 to 45 minutes or whatever his plan may have been? I, I would have... Um, we did discuss it, um, and what we're going with now is a lot of high-carbohydrate electrolyte mix. Um, it sounds like a petrol that you buy at the petrol station, but there are so many things on the market now you need to have the carbs in there because if you haven't got the carbs and you're depleting your carbs, the brain and the way you think about things just goes to mush. So he would have, um, Jono was on a high carbohydrate drink, most of it is fluid, with something like um, um, some gels as well, which is washed down with water. Um, on the hour, you have carbs. On the half hour, you have an electrolyte mix with some um, maybe a gel if he's lacking in energy but it's like anything we have to keep taking it on board especially especially on these long long swims because you will not get to the end your body will fail it's like a car we put good fuel in it it goes fast we put rubbish in it it just Mm. peters out later on in the day so um, I was talking to the crew. They did have a little bit of trouble with the product um, that he was taking to start with. His stomach has been upset all day, or definitely last night and a little bit of today. They were able to settle him down to 
keep taking on fluid. He has to keep the fluid on. The Auckland water temperatures are still relatively warm up there. Jono would have been sweating a lot. So we have to make sure the electrolytes are going in so he's not depleting that, but also the carbohydrate is there to keep the engine going. You're a hard man, Philip, because I went swimming on Saturday. There's nothing bloody warm about Auckland at the moment, mate. <laughs> probably, probably by all the ice bath standards he's been having, he probably does think it's warm. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Adapting to the cold and suddenly making the cold feel quite warm. And that's something people also underestimate. Hey, what are the official regulations here in terms of these distance swims? I've talked about it. You've got to be unassisted, uh, no wetsuits. Uh, what, what, what? Just give us a bit of an understanding of what the basic rules are. Uh, basic rules are a direct line. A direct line of sight would have been um, from the track line. You know, no, the, the distance is measured in a direct line. So any curves and things like that, it is point to point point. The actual distance isn't because that's a tidal distance. Um, he's allowed to wear a pair of budgie smugglers. You know, um, he may well have had a a, a jammers. Um, he's allowed one cap, he's allowed a pair of goggles, obviously, to um, keep the salt water out of his eyes. Um, they may well be tinted during the day, depending on how much sun you had in Auckland. My understanding is you're pretty well fogged in most of the morning. Um, and from there, um, there would have been some grease applied to his body to start with, to stop chafing, to keep the wind off his back, just a fine layer of grease. Um, he was pretty well cut down from the photos I've seen this morning. Um, but cold didn't get to him because um, he hopped out the water and at times they, they would have been making some of his foods warm as well just to keep him going to make it, you know, something warm in your stomach is very nice to have um, on these insurance events. We were talking about having just some small potatoes because you're taking on a lot of, a lot of fluid. You need to have some form of food there which will take that hollowness out of your stomach. Um, Other things that we were talking about, you know, for males, it's very difficult to pee in the sea. You know, he had to be, that tells us that we're well hydrated, Mm. Um, that he's, he's, he's peeing a lot and we need that to be recorded. Otherwise, you end up with a really sore back and then eventually that just wears away at you. No matter what it is, the smallest thing, if that gets stuck in your mind, that will just wear away, wear away, and wear away. Um, so generally, I mean, he's followed all the rules and regulations. You're not allowed to touch the swimmer. He would have had his bottle on a rope or been handed his bottle, getting it down, eliminate, trying not to take on a lot of salt water, which would have been very hard this afternoon with the, with the conditions he had, um, because then that just makes the back of your throat swell. And in 30 hours of gargling salt water, your glottis in the back of your throat will swell up, and that is the most painful thing you can have. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, the salt water, because the salt water, I mean, it, we know how corrosive it is uh, at the best of times. Um, you know, I live out at Mirawai Beach and anything that's metal doesn't last too long. It just corrodes very, very quickly. So can you build up a resilience to the mouth ulcers, to the salt water in terms of the tolerance to the skin? Um, you know, cause, um, I mean, you're in the water for 33 hours, mate. At some point it must feel like you're almost swimming through sandpaper. Oh, under the arms, under the arms, and anywhere chafed. I mean, normally what you what you do, you can either grow whiskers and grow a beard, and that's soft on your skin, or you have to be completely cleanly shaven, 
finally. Um, covered that area in Greece, but in 33 hours, he would have been growing some whiskers, and that is like just rubbing sandpaper on your shoulders and under your arms, and that would have been just eating away at him as well. Yes, he can stop and put a handful of grease on to chase, to stop the chafing again, because it would have worn off over that period of time. The other thing that we have to be, and as I say, I don't believe it was that sunny in Auckland today. No, it wasn't. Um, no. But um, sunburn for that period of time is just ruthless, ruthless. Mm. That with the salt water means you come out like a shriveled up prune after 30 hours. Mm. My guest on the program is a legend of open water swimming, Philip Rush. We're just celebrating the achievements of John O'Riddler, who hours ago completed a swim from Great Barrier Island to North Shore at 99 to 100 kilometres, um, breaking the long-standing record that stood for 33 years, the double crossing of Lake Torpo, which was 80.8 kilometres. Um, he is on a high. I've spoken to his dad. He says he's in good spirits, Jono. But let's talk about the days coming now. I mean... You know, you, at some point this is going to catch up, isn't it? Your nervous system can come crashing down. So so what's best practice for him going forward over the next couple of days and just making sure that, you know, he, he does stay healthy and there are no long-term effects here? Um, well, I think um, back in my day we used to have, a, uh, we had a few points of tenants extra um, at the local in England. Um, but, you know, moving forward, he hopefully... My understanding is they've taken him to hospital. They will put some intravenous um, uh, fluid into him to get that. He will be dehydrated, I would think. Everything's going to scab over. All the all the um, all the chafing and everything like that that will hurt for the next few days. And in about three or four days, he is going to feel as if he has been hit by a bus when the mind starts relaxing and the body all of a sudden says, you know, that was pretty horrific what I've just put my body through and it will break down. It might not be the first week, it may be the second week and then concentrating on things, your mind becomes absolutely exhausted. And you might be sitting at the desk. And I remember I was sitting somewhere and... and um, um, up to 28 hours, and, and next minute I'm sound asleep in the chair. This is the middle of the day. Um, because basically your body is exhausted because you have punished it mm. and punished it and punished it. Mm. Um, Philip, where to now? I mean, you swim 100 kilometres. What does he do now? I, I sense this, uh, you know, I mean, to a degree, it must be an addiction to an degree doing what he's doing. Uh, what's the next barrier? Where do you go to after having done this? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Mark. And I I think that's something that John, I don't think he's finished. It will depend on how much damage, because there was some problem with his shoulder prior to the swim. He has got problems again through today. Mm. Um, that may well be a technique thing that we have to work on to get that stroke right. Um, there may be quite a bit of recovery time for that shoulder um, to get it right. Um, he needs to have a break. Yeah, He's done bloody outstandingly there today, or yesterday and today. Um, but moving forward from there, 
is it 150 kilometers is it point to point is it is it something really cold i mean the world's jotto's oyster he's proven to himself now that he can swim close to 100 k's and you know that he can do it if we'd had a nice day um today potentially he might have been an hour finished an hour earlier Mm. um but that wasn't nice at all in Auckland this afternoon, yeah. and that is putting yourself through something in places that you should not even be in the water. But he just kept chipping away at it, and that was our advice. Chip away each kilometre or another kilometre closer. Mm. I don't know where he goes from here. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, I guess in time we'll find out. Hey, Philip, just before we do let you go, and it's been a wonderful insight, and I do appreciate your time tonight. I just want to have—I want to confirm this. I know the answer to this because I've interviewed you before. But your biggest regret about the triple crossing of the English Channel was that you didn't start the fourth crossing. Yeah, that's completely right. And I still, when I'm talking to kids these days, and I'm in the position my coach was when we sat on the beach in in France for that third time. He said, I'll give you some time. Because you you've got you've got ten minutes un, you've got ten minutes unassisted, haven't you, if the English with the double crossings. Correct. And you didn't actually Correct. you didn't actually get out of the water for the until right at the end once you'd done three and then you sat on the beach and then you were given the opportunity. And yeah, I was and uh, uh, he said, We've got ten minutes. How far back can you go? I said, Well I can go I know I can go halfway back. He threw the towel over me, he said, Well it's better be to be known for the one that's done three good ones instead of the one that um, went three and a half. Well, that prick, sorry, Tony, rest in peace up there. That guy should have grabbed me and thrown me back out there. And even if we'd only gone halfway, I would have gone halfway further than anybody else had ever done. But who knows what would have happened? You Mm. don't know until your body is completely shut down and you cannot swim another stroke. I was still swimming at three and a half k's an hour. So once we got to halfway, then it would be another kilometre after that and another kilometre after that. And it's about your mind shutting off and letting you do it. We didn't do that, Mark. So anyway, you know, the rest is history. Philip Rush, lovely to catch up, mate. Brilliant. And again, congratulations on your remarkable career. Without you, guys like John O'Riddler wouldn't be doing what they're doing. You're the pioneers. You're the guys that take out the guesswork and show it can be done. So thank you. All the best.